In my days, I'll be up on a stage, uh, probably not this one, uh, preaching. Who knows, though? Who knows? Um, but I first found First Baptist uh, when I was about 16, 17. I was working at Walmart during COVID, and I was in a checkout aisle. And I was checking people out, and John and Vanessa came through my aisle, and uh, I asked them, because everything was shut down during COVID. I was like, hey, are you guys open? Are you guys in person? And of course, John being John, he was like, yeah, we're a person, you, you should come on in. So I came on in uh, the next weekend, and uh, he proceeded to use me in a sermon about three or four weeks uh, in a row. And so I was like, man, when do I start getting paid for this, right? <laughs> so I still haven't got paid for it, but that's all right. Uh, happy New Year. Happy 2022. 2021 was something, wasn't it? Uh, happy 2022. Now, with the new year comes New Year's resolutions. And some of you guys in here, and it's okay to raise your hand. I had two people raise their hand in the first service. But how many of you guys made a New Year's resolution for yourself? Raise your hands up high. Rhett, you can't, you're, not, you're not either one. It's up or not up. <laughs> so if you made one, have you already failed it yet? Okay, Rhett's half and half on both. So he's kind of failed it, he's kind of made one, he's kind of failed it. So the funny thing about New Year's resolutions is I know that when I made one, you know, when I was younger, uh, you know, 10 through 13, because that was about the age that you did it, right? And so you made it, and then you would fail about two weeks in. And you were like, oh, you know, it's, I got next year, I guess. So there's always next year. Um, but it never seems to come true. You know, you make a New Year's resolution about to stop procrastinating, and uh, you're like, eh, I don't really want to do it right now. You're like, yeah, that's kind of the point of the whole thing. Right, so I brought a few pictures up here that are kind of funny, um, that kind of tie into this. So people be like, I'm gonna start working out this year. Man, their noses are getting real long. Let me just say, 2022 must be the year of long noses, because I see a lot of them out there. I'm just kidding, just kidding. Some of you with big noses already are like, man, is it really, is it really growing? No, no it's not. The next one is, if I waited for people to actually keep their word, I thought this one was really funny. I was looking at him, and I was like, man, that's, that's pretty accurate. Because if you wait for people to actually keep the word, I mean, you're going to look like that, looking through the blinds, and yeah, that's about it. Now, I think the whole point of this is that we've all made promises for ourselves, right? And maybe we haven't fulfilled them, or we haven't kept them, right? We make promises for ourselves, and you know, Christmas just happened. We made a promise to not eat that extra plate of cookies during Christmas, and you know you did. It's okay, because I did too. It's all part of it. Calories during Christmas doesn't count. So you've all made a promise to yourself, and you've not kept it. Right? It happens. You know, promises used to be really, really trustworthy too. I remember, you know, not too long ago, promises were, if you said it, if you said, I'm going to get this done, I promise you, I'll put a timeline on it and everything. I'll get it done. And you got it done every single time. Because promises were trustworthy. Now, if I lend someone $10 at college, and maybe it's just college, but I know it's not. If I lend somebody $10 at college, I'm not getting that $10 back. <laughs> there ain't no way. If they say, I'll get it to you, you know, maybe next week. Maybe next week, I'll put it down on my calendar. And if you don't have it, well, I'm going to steal it from you. I'm, I'm going to get my $10 back. And at college, 10 cents is worth about $100. So you don't give me my 10 cents back, might be in trouble, right? But the problem is, is that I want to trust these people, right? 
I lend you $10, I want to respect and trust you enough to know that I'm going to get my $10 back. And I can't anymore. The point is, is that promises aren't trusted. We can't keep promises anymore. That's my first point. Promises can't be trusted anymore. If we look at promises today, uh, marriage, 41% of all marriages will end in divorce. 41%. And there's this little thing you say when you get married, they're called vows, till death to us part in sickness and in health, for richer or for poorer. No matter what, I'm there. But it doesn't seem like we know what those words mean when we say them. See, we make these empty promises. We make these promises that we know, you know, I'm going to get you that, those $10 back. I'm not getting those $10 back to him, man. That was, that was just free money. I'm just smarter than the guy that I got it from. But you know you're not getting those $10 back. They're empty promises. Promises were, you're going to get this thing done. I'm making a promise that I get this thing done. And now it's just, I'm making a promise so that they'll get off my back about it and then maybe they'll forget about it. Next thing is politics. Don't even get me started on that. I don't think I have to say anything there. Both sides are saying, I'm right. This is the correct way. This is facts right here. The other side says, no, they're not. This is the correct way. I promise to be true. I promise to be true. Next one is our promises to God. Now, much like me, you've probably been there where you've gone back to a repetitive sin and you've prayed and you've said, God, and I promise that I'm not going to do that again. You've probably made this promise 50 times because I've done it. I've gone back to the same sin. I've kept doing the same thing and I said, God, I promise I'm not going to do it. The 49th time I promised that I'm actually not going to do it and then I go back to it and I've got to make it a 50th time. It doesn't ever seem to stop. Now where it becomes an issue is when we can no longer trust promises. What I mean by this is God makes promises to us. And we can't trust them because we haven't been able to trust promises before. Right? All the promises, all the examples that I had, marriage, politics, our promises to God have been human-made promises. But when the God of the universe, the one who created you, said, I promise I'm going to get something done, and you said, ah, oh, you know what? You are just like me, and you're not going to get it done. Sound familiar? Sometimes it's not God's promises that are lacking. It's our faithfulness to God's promises that's lacking. And if that's you, well, congratulations, you're in great company. Because every one of you has a smug face on your look, on your, a smug look on your face, including myself. You're not by yourself. Biblically, you're not by yourself. In Genesis 2, 16 through 17, says this. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you'll surely die. 
See, God makes this promise to Adam. He says, any tree, any one of them in this garden, you could pick from any of them, but this one right here, see it? Don't eat of it. This one right here. What do they end up doing? Well, in Genesis 3, verses 6 through 7, it says this. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. How do you fail one chapter later, right? So God's like, any tree that you want except for this one. And you're going to live a peaceful, glorious life without suffering, without pain. And, you know, they're like, you know, that's not good enough for me. So they eat of the tree. Then in Genesis 6, 11 through 13, it just continues on. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way on earth. God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end to all flesh. For the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy the earth with the earth. And how in six chapters do you make God unhappy enough to want to press the restart button and say, you know what? I created you to do this good thing, to be good people, and you already failed and you already messed it up enough to where I have to send a flood, wipe you out, and try it again. Maybe this time I won't put a tree in there you can't eat. But you get what I'm saying. Korah and the rebellion in number 16. Korah rose up with a rebellion towards God's promises. He said, this isn't true. You aren't true. You're not even real. And guess what God did? He opened the earth and he swallowed every single one of them. The Bible's full of imperfect people going against the same person that promised to take care of them. The main passage I want to look at is Exodus 32, verses 1 through 8. Stay. And it starts off a little bit like this. So Moses, uh, before, Moses is up talking to God on the mountain. And he left the people down at the bottom of the mountain. And they're just supposed to wait for him. He's going to be back. He's talking to God, right? And so it starts off like this, verse 1 and 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron, said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears, brought them to Aaron, and he received the gold from them. From their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden cow. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. They rose up early the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people 
whom you brought out of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I have commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Moses brings these people out of the land of Egypt. God promises to take care of them. You see a pillar of fire in the night and a pillar of smoke in the day leading them. He parts the Red Sea. He does all these great things, fulfills all these promises, and keeps them fed and keeps them not thirsty and does all these great things. And when they get impatient, they say, oh, you know what? Maybe he hasn't actually done all these things, and maybe he's not going to fulfill the promises that he says he's going to. So they fashion a golden calf, and they say, this is my God. Because it's going to fulfill my promises. I promise you that. It's not going to make me wait. I promise you that if I worship that and I sacrifice to that and I do all these things for this, it's going to fulfill my promises every single time. Does it fail? I mean, it's only failed a couple, probably 30 times for them already. They haven't quite learned. Now, If that's not an issue, then the issue is is that we still do it today. We make gods for ourselves to fulfill these promises that we want to make to ourselves. We use these things as tools instead of the one who created us. Alcohol, money, girls or boys, sex, parties, politics, work. Paying off our car or our house, having the best whatever, being the best grandma, being the best grandpa, having the best cookies during Christmas. If you got good cookies and you still got leftovers, I'm still here. I'll take them as a gift. But my second point is this. If you search, if you search for the world, for promises, for fulfilled promises in the world, you will absolutely, 100% of the time, end up lost. There's no doubt about it. I've looked to the world. I've done all these things that I'm saying up here. I'm not just preaching to you. I'm preaching to myself because I've done it. The reason I know that it's something that happens is because I've done it. You look to the world. You say, you know what? You're going to fulfill my promises. I know you will. Then you end up lost, and you wonder what happened. I don't know if I understand why we do it or not. I know that the God who created me promises that he's going to take care of me, and every single time that I remember that, it brings me back to, why the heck did I, why did I, why did I put my trust and my faith in this Instead of him. I'm going to read in Matthew 14, verses 28 through 32. And this passage is uh, about Peter walking on water. Um, And I think it's really, really powerful for this right here. In verse 28, it starts like this. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, come on out. So Peter got out of the boat, 
and he walked on the water and came to Jesus. When he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand, took hold of him, saying to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got in the boat, the wind ceased. See, Peter starts walking on water. Man, and he's looking at Jesus, and he, he starts walking on water, and, he, and he's doing all these great things. And then, and then he notices the wind and the waves, and he starts to sink. You're making your, your promises to this golden calf, to this thing that can't fulfill them. And when you're walking towards Jesus and you say, ah, you know what, I really don't think you're the one that's making me walk on this water. I think that, I think that this is what's holding me up. You start looking at that, and guess what? You start sinking towards it. You start going down towards it. And then all of a sudden, when you realize it might not be the right thing, you say, Lord, you are the one. You reach up. You say, will you save me? Even though I didn't trust you? Every single time he has. And we still run away. The point is, is that Peter was focused on the wrong thing, and the people on the mountain were focused on the wrong thing. My third point today is that this world is too focused on the problem to notice the solution. What do you see when you look at this world? Do you see the chaos? Do you see the destruction? Do you see the anger? Do you see the fighting and all this bad stuff and all this COVID and all this death? Or do you see God working through the mess that we have made? What are you focused on? See, there's many biblical heroes. Heroes. I'm going to put them in quotation marks because I think that the word hero has become an idol a little bit. Many biblical people that were focused on the wrong thing. One example is David. David was focused on a woman bathing, and instead of leaving the balcony in which he watched, he ordered for someone to go get someone else's wife, so then he would make her pregnant, and then try to fix the situation by himself, and say, oh, you know what, maybe the best solution to this is that I'm going to send him, his name was Uriah, her husband, I'm going to send Uriah to the front of the battlefield and he's going to die. And then the problem solved. No worries, right? Uriah walks to the battlefield with this note that David gives him. And Uriah trusts him so much, trusts his promises so much, he doesn't open this note. David says, don't open the note until you get there. Give it to them, don't open the note. Don't read what it says. Uriah took his own death to the battlefield and trusted David so much that he ended up dead. Now, it wouldn't be as bad if David had, you know, maybe got her pregnant and then said, okay, this, that was wrong. I need to repent. And Uriah, I'm really sorry. And I don't, I don't deserve to be your commander or your king. I, I don't deserve this, right? But no, instead he was like, I'll fix this myself. I got it. I've done this before, right? I'll fix it myself. Ends up with somebody dead because of it. There are also many who focus on the right thing. One example is Daniel. 
Daniel, at old age, was tossed in a den of lions for praising and worshiping God in spite of the king. Right? And so he's tossed in this den of lions. And instead of focusing on how the lions could rip and tear him to shreds in seconds, he was more focused on the God who was sovereign and promised to take care of him. And he walked out of there without a scratch. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into a fiery furnace for praising and worshiping God. And instead of focusing on the fire that consumes they were more focused on the sovereign Lord that was walking with them in the fire. Jesus wasn't focused on the death. Praise God for that. Jesus wasn't focused on the death that he was going to go through. He's rather focused on the life that he would give an opportunity to receive to all of God's children. If we get too caught up in the problems of this world, you won't have time for anything. I promise you that. And you will absolutely miss the love of God that he has for you. But Ben, that doesn't solve any of my problems, right? I still have to pay bills. Taxes are still a thing. People still die. COVID isn't gone. What if I told you that we made that happen? Not us specifically, but Adam and Eve sinning and falling short, much like we fall short and sin, creates a disturbance. God doesn't promise peace because we're the ones who got rid of the peace. But because he's gracious enough, he does promise this. 1 John 1.9 says this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 4.9-11 says this. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. Romans 8.28 says this. We know that God causes all things to work together. For the good of those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. The story that I'm about to share with you is probably the reason that I'm still here. Is the reason that I'm preaching to you today. When I say that all things work together for good, some of you are like, yeah, I don't know if I believe that. Sometimes he does. And sometimes it just sucks. When I was 16 years old, imagine yourselves at 16 years old. Some of you aren't there yet, but imagine yourselves at 16 years old and your dad walks into your room and he says, son, I got to move out. Regular night, nothing different, nothing's changed. He says, son, I got to move out. What he meant was, son, I'm not going to be living here in the same house that I've been living at for 16 years with you. You remember me and all the joy and all the memories that we had at this house? Yeah, I'm not going to be here anymore. 
My mom and dad got divorced soon after that. And where was my trust? Absolutely not up there. I bet you can believe it, too. Something like that happens, and you're like, I don't know if I would trust in that moment and instance. For weeks, for weeks and weeks and weeks, I was like, if you can't fix this, you absolutely cannot fix anything else in my life. This is the one thing I need you to pull through for. Work it together for good. I didn't trust him. I left. I said, I'm done. Finally, one day I realized it's not God's fault that bad things happen. But if we don't trust and rely on him and his works, they're not going to get better. When I tell you this, it is absolutely 100% true. My dad and I would not be as close as we are if it didn't happen. I wanted nothing to do with my dad before the divorce. Absolutely nothing. I was like, if I end up like you, man, I'm worthless. My mom and I, never been closer. And I tell you, my mom is kind of hard to get along with when you live with her all the time. <laughs> but, <laughs> hey, stop shaking your head back there. I'll see you after. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> but, I've never been closer to either one. I had the privilege of both of them sitting in this crowd for service. And when I looked at them, I mean, tears in both their eyes. And I told my mom, I said, I'm talking about this today. She said, don't talk about it. I said, I'm talking about it. <laughs> Which is going to be hard when I go home. But anyway, no, I told her, I said it, I spoke it. And the power and the reality of the fact that through something so hard as a divorce and not being able to live with your father, being able to turn out for good. Just sit through that. Soak that in. Remember that it's not always God's fault that you're suffering, but he'll use the suffering for something that is good. Sometimes this world is awful. I'm not saying you can't grieve. I'm not saying things don't suck, because guess what? They sure do. But it doesn't mean that God has left you or forsaken you. In all things that we do, in everything that we go through, whether it's good, it's bad, it's ugly, it's glorious, God is with you. Every single time, through every step of the way, he hasn't left you. And he won't forsake you. Please pray with me. Father, thank you for this day and for the love that you have given us. Father, I thank you for being with us every single step of the way, no matter what it is. Father, through the hard times, through the good times, and through all the times that we go through, I just pray your hand in our life and your blessing upon us. I thank you that your promises are yes and amen, Father. We thank you in Jesus' precious name.
Amen.